Lord God Almighty, we thank you for this time where we can gather together to be in your word, to hear again of the great love you have for us, and to hear anew your will for our lives. Lord, we pray that you would bless this time, that you would fill us with your spirit, that the words of my lips and the meditation of all our hearts might be pleasing in your sight. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this morning as we continue with our red letter challenge, we're going to be talking about being and about what that really means for us as Christians. But before we do that, I'd like to try something, and it might be a little bit uncomfortable for some of us. Frankly, it's a little uncomfortable for me, but we're gonna do it anyway, and we're just gonna all be uncomfortable together. So what I want you to do is I want you to find someone in the room who you do not know very well. So this cannot be a family member. Um, it realistically should not be a pew mate that you've known for the last 50 years and know them really well or a close friend. Someone that you don't know very well. Go over, introduce yourself to them, say your name, and tell them something important about you. And hear that back in return. Now, even eight o'clock did this, so I think we're gonna be workable here, okay? I, we should be able to do this, all right? So let's do it.
I've got to admit, this is a nice change of pace for me. Normally when you're up here, it's really, really quiet. And your biggest concern is, are people actually awake? <laughs> so it's always nice to, it actually is really cool to be able to be up here and hear really the body of Christ conversing, talking together, that gentle babble of conversation, um, and actually be wondering, ooh, how long is this going to go? Am I going to get a word in edgewise? <laughs> like, it, it's a nice change of pace. But the reason why I wanted to do this is I wanted to ask you, what were you guys hearing? When people were introducing themselves to you, who were they saying they were? What was important to them? What did you hear? Family. I suspected that family would be a big one, right? That's a big thing for us, our families. What else? What they do for a living, so their profession, certainly. Yep. Hobbies. Goals. Current things happening in their lives right now. Where they live? Yeah. Well, faith? That's a good thing, I suppose. Yeah, good thing to talk about. No, I think as we're talking about this, as we're talking about being, I couldn't help but think of being as related to our identity. To really the answer to that question, who am I? And maybe that's not a question that keeps us up at night. Maybe we're not tossing and turning in bed pondering, who am I really? But I think it is a question that a lot of people ask. And how we answer that question has a pretty dramatic impact on how we live our lives. The way we identify ourselves affects us. And sometimes this identity can be in things that are a little bit trivial. So for instance, I've never met a person that didn't look good in blue and orange. It's just a really good color scheme, a really good one. Um, <laughs> but I've found that up here it's just not as well loved. And it makes me sad. It makes me really sad. But I have also found that Sunday mornings tend to be a really joyful time for me. And then Sunday afternoons I tend to get a little grouchy. <laughs> I'm not saying there's any correlation there or perhaps causation, but we'll just keep that in mind. But for me, the really big one would actually be this. If you were to drop by my house on any given night, um, let's say from October through May, there is a greater than 50% chance that you would find me wearing this exact hoodie. It probably should get washed more frequently than it does. <laughs> I would happily identify myself as a proud Dallas Mavericks fan. And that identity, this team that I identify with, affects how I live my life. Probably to my wife's chagrin, if the Mavericks are playing, I want the Mavericks game on in our house. <laughs> in fact, I've even started trying to get my daughters involved. I've informed Michaela, our oldest, that one of the players for the Mavericks is nicknamed the Unicorn. And so anytime she comes in and I'm watching a game, she asks me, Dad, where's the Unicorn? And I point him out. And we sit and we watch the game together and she cheers. She claps when we make a basket. Sometimes she claps when the other team makes a basket, but we're working on that. It's okay. <laughs> but actually, even if you looked at that Honduras video that we showed last weekend during the offering, you might have seen someone in that video wearing this very hoodie. And in fact, while I was down in Honduras, 
we found out that our hotel had Wi-Fi. So after I would come back from working with the kids, after everyone else would go to sleep, I could pull out my phone and I could watch the Mavericks game on NBA League Pass, even all the way down in Honduras. Which I have to thank my dad at some point for letting me use his League Pass so that way I can watch the Mavs games wherever I go. Even trivial parts of our identity affect how we live. But of course, there are stronger parts of identity, parts that really influence our lives. We mentioned professions, and certainly most of our waking moments as professionals is spent at those jobs. A majority of our time is spent serving in various ways in various different vocations. And so it's no wonder then that that is an important part of our lives. I wager that most of us are in a job that we chose because it's something that we're passionate about, something that we care about. And I also think that our different professions affect how we look at the world. I imagine that a mechanic will look at a car very differently than I would, <laughs> that he'll have a little more information to process about that vehicle than me, who's just, does it get me from point A to point B? I imagine that a teacher might look at the summer months at June, July, and August a little bit differently than an office worker who works nine to five every day. A doctor might look at an illness differently from a banker, might have a better understanding of what's going on there. And a scientist might look at the world and see that world in a different lens than say a garbage collector. Our professions impact who we are. I mean, you guys even said it. It's one of the things that we use to identify ourselves. Another important one that you brought up is family, or maybe more simplified, our name. I couldn't help but think of Romeo and Juliet, of this great conflict that arises over a name. What's in a name? In that story, we see the name, the family that these two people come from, forcing them apart. And certainly, even in reality, I think we know families that really highly value their name, their family life. And I think that can be a good thing. For instance, the family that I married into, my in-laws, are part of the Tice family umbrella. And the Tices are very proud of their Ticeness. In fact, every summer, someone plans a reunion and pretty much everyone in the family, or as much as they can, tries to get there for that reunion because it is important to be with family. That is part of who you are. And in fact, when you marry into the Tice family or are born into the Tice family, you receive a number. I'm not kidding, yeah. So my number is 101. So you can see actually how far-reaching this Tice family is within the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. That's actually cliche for me to be a pastor. It's hard to shake a stick in a Lutheran church and not hit a Tice member somewhere. Or maybe we just value our name because it's how other people identify us, right? We want our name to have value. We want it to be worth something. 
We want people to respect our name, to trust it. I'm sure a business owner would attest to this, that having a good name in the community matters. And that affects how we live. It does. Our identity impacts us. How we answer that question, who am I, matters. But a part of me wonders if there's something inherently flawed about the question, who am I? I wonder if that question, if us asking that question doesn't start to move us into the realm of the Creator. Because think about it, what determines something, something's identity? Is it the one who makes it or the thing that is made? For instance, did this pulpit decide to be a pulpit or was it made to be a pulpit? Could this candle decide that it wanted to be a desk? Or is its identity inherently tied up in its creator, in its creation? I think that question, who am I, maybe starts to fall into the temptation that Adam and Eve faced. As the serpent came to them and said, eat this fruit and you will be like God. You will get to be the creator rather than the creature. You will get to determine reality, not God. And I think we might be starting to see some of this and really this crisis of identity that we see in the world around us. There is a multitude of ways that you can identify yourself beyond counting. By your race, by your ethnicity, by the country you live in, by the amount of money you make, where you went to school, what kind of car you drive what kind of clothes you wear, what sports teams you follow, your gender, your sexual orientation, all of these ways that you can say and answer that question, who am I? But I wonder if there's a better question. I wonder if rather than asking who am I, we should be asking, who does God say I am? Rather than placing ourselves at the center of that question, perhaps we ought to be placing God at the center. And I think when we see God's answer to that question, we come to a radically different understanding of being, of identity. Let's hear again what Paul says in our reading from Galatians. 
Paul writes, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Do you see where Paul is locating the Christian's identity? For Paul, all of us are absorbed into a bigger identity, a bigger story, a story that goes beyond us. For Paul, when that water splashes over our heads and when God speaks his name upon us, we become God's. And we hear God answering that question saying, you are my child. My son died for you. You are in Christ. You are saved. I love you. You see, for Paul, baptism is the foundation of all the rest of our identities. And I think it's important to note that as we see him saying here, there is no slave nor free, there is no male or female, he's not doing away with all of the conventional understandings of who we are. But what he is saying is that they're absorbed. They're brought into something greater. They're brought into a bigger picture, a bigger reality. They're brought into this reality of a promise made to Abraham that one day his descendants would be more numerous than the sand upon the seashore or the stars in the sky. That one day from Abraham would come a descendant who would be a blessing to the entire world, a savior. A savior who would die for his people, who would shed his blood to forgive their sins. And who three days later would rise again proclaiming his victory over even death, proclaiming the gift of eternal life to his people. That's the promise that Paul says we have been brought into. That is the identity that Paul says is now ours, that Christ's death and resurrection in the waters of baptism has been made a part of our lives that just as Christ died and rose again, one day we will rise. And right now, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul describes us as a new creation. That the God who spoke all of creation into existence has now spoken over you and has fashioned and formed you into something new into a follower of Christ. And it's that 
identity. It is that being that God speaks into us, that God brings us into, that shapes everything else. And so if you're a Bears fan, or if you have to be a Packers fan for some reason, (laughs) you're a Christian Bears fan, or a Christian Packers fan, When we go down to Pfizer Forum to cheer on the hometown Bucks, which is fine as long as they're not playing the Mavericks, <laughs> we're Christians. And that ought to impact how we cheer, how we imbibe during those events, how we live. While we have a host of professions, while we might be lawyers or doctors or stay-at-home moms or retirees or teachers, all of those professions, all of those occupations are caught up in the Christian life. And so we're not just doctors, but we're Christian doctors. We're not just teachers, but we're Christian teachers. We're not just stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home dads, but we're Christian stay-at-home parents. We're Christian families, Christian moms and dads and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters, Christian grandparents. That reality of Christ is the defining reality. It's who we are because it's who God says we are. We were talking about baptism this week. I don't know if it was just me kind of bouncing ideas off for this sermon or what it was, but Michaela toddled into the room and heard that we were talking about baptism and she told me, Dad, that's when my life began. That's the kind of childlike faith we're called to have. This trust in God's wisdom, in who God says we are, in who we really are in Christ. And I love that as we start this Red Letter Challenge together, Pastor Zender is starting us with this idea of being because it's from our being that everything else flows. If we mess this up, everything else is broken. And so as he gives us a number of helpful ways to really dwell in that being, to dwell in who Christ says we are, I want to focus on three of them. Scripture, prayer, and worship. Because if we are really Christ's people, then we ought to be hearing what Christ has to say to us, and we ought to be following it. Whether that's on our own or whether it's in a small group, we need to be in Christ's word, letting him speak to our existence, to our being. We need to be in prayer. We need to have that relationship with our Father. We need to be coming to him with our intercessions, our cries, our wants, our needs. We need to talk with him. And we need to open ourselves up for him to speak to us. And we need to be together in worship. 
We need to let our God come to us in his body and blood. We need to pray together to hear his word read to us from scripture, to hear his word of forgiveness spoken to us by the pastor. And we need to be reminded of God's answer to the question, who are you? You are God's child, baptized and redeemed by Jesus Christ. Amen.